0: the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take
1: your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. In one of my favorite Andy Griffith shows, uh, Andy and everybody goes to a restaurant. I think it's Morelli's, the swanky Italian restaurant on the outskirts of Mount Airy. and Goober is with them and uh, the waitress says, "Do you want the dollar25 plate of spaghetti or you want the dollar 65?" And Goober says, well, I'll take the dollar 25." And Andy goes, "Are you sure? I'm buying." And he quickly says, Dollar (laughs) sixty-five. And he orders the more expensive plate. Now you might wonder, what in the world does that have to do with exploring the word? But we're gonna be in Proverbs twenty three. And believe it or not, there's an admonition about the way you handle yourself. Uh, at mealtime, and we'll talk about that in Proverbs 23, but I do want to welcome you to the program. Alex McFarlane here along with Bert Harper. And Bert, I, I guess it's fair to say you and I are two Andy Griffith fans, aren't we?
2: <laughs> we are. I think what I had to watch when I was pastoring full-time is not use an Andy Griffith show example every sermon. Uh, right. People just get tired of it. But, yes, it's it's great. And the severe thing that Solomon said to do with your appetite when you sit down, uh, you might want to be mindful of that. And we're going to get to that real quickly. But Proverbs 23 Starts off now. Notice this, and I noticed this today. It starts off with eating and ends with drinking. Now mm. you know uh, verses one, two, and three talk about you know the eating, and it has some more into it. But then at the end, it talks about uh, about alcoholic drinks. So mm. what we're going to do is we're going to have a show about eating and drinking today. And uh, you want to listen to this. There's a lot of great, great principles um, in this chapter that I think will help us to discipline ourselves would be a good word,
1: Alex. Well, you know, sometimes we hear the word manners or etiquette or or decorum, but... Uh, verse one of Proverbs twenty-three: When when thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. Okay, now I've got my King James with me. So, but there there's a lot of a lot of things here. When you're sitting down to eat, and you get that this is like an important meal, and maybe you're in front of. Some leaders or someone of authority. When it says consider diligently what is before you, I don't think it means simply the food on the table, uh, but also uh, the situation, the, the people you're in front of and the impression you're going to make. Um, verse 2, let me just say, you, you don't want to, well, I'm going to put it two ways. Um, you, you don't want to be a glutton, and if you're with people at a meal Believe it or not, breaking bread with people, the focal point is not the food you're eating. The focal point is the fellowship around the table and the people you're with. But I'm, I'm just going to say this as as a preacher. Um, Bert, I, I do a lot of traveling. And whenever I get taken somewhere, um, you know, I always offer to, I want to pay my own way. But many times people want to take me out to a, a meal. But I don't ever offer them a uh, order, the most important thing on the menu the most expensive thing do you and i've watched people and i don't know um i you don't ever want to take advantage of somebody's hospitality and my mother would always tell us don't order the most expensive thing and don't take the last piece of pie and don't you know don't eat till everybody else has been served did you get some of those points of etiquette growing up Bert? i
2: did now i let me say this being Uh, in a family of nine children. Now, I was the youngest, and some of them were gone. But if there was one biscuit left or one piece of pie and the lights went out, you did not want to have your hand in front of (laughs) that piece of food. It would get filled with forks. So, (laughs) okay. Uh, I hear you. But verse 3, I think, shares with us that it's more than just the food. Because it says, For the last word is, for they are deceptive food. Now, what is? What are they trying to get out of that? Uh, When they offer you this meal, is there strings attached? Remember Daniel and then his three, the three Hebrew friends? They would not partake of the king's meat nor the king's wine. Why? They had their identity. They had their uh, priorities. They had their boundaries and uh, don't be deceived by uh, – because you can be deceived at a meal if you're not careful. And so there's more here than just your appetite. There's more here than uh, just – you know, it's it's kind of like not owing any man. Uh, you know, be careful what you take. What do they want in return, you know? And uh, Alex, uh, sometimes – Uh, Like in football, they say one of the most important things a defensive back has that's got to cover those wide receivers that many times are bigger and taller, faster than they are, they've got to have poor memories. If they dwell on the mistake they made, then they're going to get caught again. And so let me tell you, when people are just being nice to you, be thankful right then. But that doesn't mean you owe them anything, especially if it says what? If you're sitting down with a ruler or they wanting yeah. something out of it. I think there's some here more than just your appetite and your diet. It,
1: exactly. Exactly. And let, let me say, don't be a person that could be bought. Amen. And, Good uh, word. You know. Good word. Um, I, I won't belabor this point, but um, probably about 12 years ago, um, I got – Flown to California and offered a position with a ministry, and I'm gonna tell you it was a six-figure salary, but um, they didn't believe in a lot of the things that are the core parts of the gospel, and um, didn't take me long at all to say thank you. It's uh, an honor to come out here, but I, I don't believe this is for me. And you know the story of Bird and I with a hundred questions book, um, we. Bird and I, and I give God the glory. I'm not patting ourselves on the back because this is only the right thing to do, but uh, we walked away from a big, big book sale rather than delete some things that are part of the gospel that we need to proclaim. So um, go where life takes you. Serve the Lord with every opportunity, but don't be a person who has a price tag. Amen. Because Amen. We we stand for the Word of God and the gospel And we love everyone, and we try to do right by everybody. But we don't have a price tag where our message could be bought and changed. If
2: you do not stand for something that is important, you'll fall for anything. And so you stand firm. Martin Luther said, I can do no other. This is where I stand. And again, Alex, that is so true. Verse 4 and 5, they go together as well. Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. Now, listen to this last line. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Have you ever seen yeah. a hearse pulling a U haul, Alex?
1: Uh, never, never. You mean
2: you're not going to be able to take that with you?
1: <laughs> no. Well, and do you remember uh, in Matthew 6, Jesus said, Do, you, do not lay up treasures on yourself for earth. Uh, on earth, where moth and rust corrupt, and thieves break through and steal. I want to say that verse 5 is just profound. Uh, will you set your eyes on that which is not? Now, what that means, in other words, it's not really real. Riches and the trinkets of this world, um, it's, it's so temporary. And Jesus asked the question, why would a man exchange his soul for the world? Uh, what can you give in exchange for your soul? Uh, nothing. Nothing. And so understand that the things that matter and the true value is in your relationship with the Lord, not any, any trinket the world could dangle in front of you. Uh, and it goes on, riches are like the wings of eagles, they just fly away. Here today, gone tomorrow. But what you've got in Christ, that's permanent.
2: Alex, have you ever heard about men, successful men, and they were close to dying or on their deathbed, uh, people have said this, I don't know the, I've heard it and I've heard them say it, but I've heard others say they've heard it as well. I've never heard a man say, Oh, I should have worked more hours and get, put more money in my bank account. Uh, yeah. but I've heard, Oh, I wished I'd have spent more time with my family. Oh, I wished I'd have, I'd have had time for the Lord. And so this riches are a fleeting thing in this world. Now, if God has blessed you with riches, you're counted on to be a steward of that which is God has given you. Uh, it's it's temporary at the best, and uh, it's only the only thing that you can take to heaven with you is other people, and uh, mm, as you share true. the gospel with them. Now they got to choose. You can't knock them over the head and and tie them up and take them, but you sure can share the gospel and live a life that they would want to join you. And so verse 6 continues about eating. Do not eat the breads of a miser, nor desire his delicacies, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Now, that uh, that part of the whole statement could be taken out and stand by its own, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. But it says, yes. eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The morsel so you have eaten, you will vomit up and waste your pleasant foods. Words again, Alex. It's talking about this thing of 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 what you take in. You know, be careful what you take in physically. Now, again, uh, that's not what defiles a man; it's what he puts in his mind. But I think it's putting it all together. You're going to be foolish uh, to think that you can be satisfied with the things of this world like food and clothing you know uh those things never satisfy it's only that relationship with god
1: well you know um the french apologist Blaise pascal he said you know there's an infinite hole in every heart and an infinite hole can only be satisfied by something infinite which is god and so you know um don't don't try to think you're going to be satisfied with something here in this finite world. Uh, verse 8, the morsel which you have eaten shall you vomit up and lose thy sweet words. Uh, well, I've, I've known people that they they gave their whole life to get something, and once they got it, they were not satisfied with it. Um, I know people that have gotten involved in terrible relationships and then hated them, themselves after it, so the, the morsel, you know, I, you think about this. You come to Jesus, you're going to be at a banquet. <laughs> you come to Christ, you've got <laughs> everything. But you you give yourself to this world, it's a morsel and a bitter one at that.
2: It is temporal. It is temporary. And you want to dwell on that which is eternal. And you now it goes not what you about how to act and react with wealthy people, how to gain favor with them and what you eat. Verse nine, do not speak in the hearing of a fool for he will despise the wisdom of your words. And I was wondering, is that connected? Well, let me just share with you. If you start off about the ruler, the ruler, whoever is that person that's trying to get you to come that way, uh, be careful what you say in front of them, Alex. And uh, don't waste, sometimes you don't need to waste your words with people. Uh, over in the New Testament, it says sometimes you shake the dust off of your sandals and move on. And mm-hmm. you got to know when to do that. If you're talking to somebody that is, well, here it is, as a fool, acting foolish, talking foolish, uh, I doubt if your words is going to change them. I think it's time to do what? Kind of just let it pass by and go on, you know?
1: yeah exactly exactly you know uh we're in proverbs proverbs 23 if you're just now tuning in this is exploring the word and we're going to get to phone calls and take your live bible questions here in a while um you know we talked about how sometimes things stand alone and other times there's verses when we come back we're going to get to kind of a standalone truth again and uh Bert, we hope everybody will stay tuned with us in Proverbs 23.
2: We sure do, we're gonna hear about the Redeemer. Isn't that exciting? Even in Proverbs, the Redeemer.
3: This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to
4: stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Ann Milgram, administrator of the Drug Enforcement Administration. She works to combat drug trafficking and distribution in the United States. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20 reminds us of the importance of avoiding dangerous substances. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Anne Milgram as she fights drug trafficking in our country. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.
5: Pause to
2: Pray is the service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Get your 2022 prayer guide and make this the year of prayer. Available now at
3: pausetopray.org.
4: Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that life is a race we should run with perseverance and without what one translation calls encumbrances. Dr. Tony Evans says that word is packed with meaning as we spend two minutes with Tony.
3: An encumbrance... It's something that is extra baggage, something holding you down. You notice in a race, they may warm up in a jogging suit, but when it comes time to run the race, they take off the jogging suit, and their clothing is very light. In running a race, the jogging suit would become an encumbrance. It's extra baggage. When they are working out, they will put weights around their ankles, but not in a race. They take those weights off because that weight will slow them down. An encumbrance is not a sin. An encumbrance is simply baggage that's keeping you from moving forward by faith. It's slowing you down. It's hindering you. It's limiting your spiritual progress. And see, some of us are held back because we got the wrong friends who are slowing us down. They're not propelling our faith. They're challenging our faith. Don't let the wrong folks who are not spiritually minded people slow you down from moving you forward by faith. You got to shed them because they are encumbrances.
4: Lightening your load often starts by going back to square one in your faith. Check out Tony's CD series Divine Reset, available online at Tonyevans.org. Then join us next time for two minutes with Tony.
0: Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio.
4: There is-
2: It's more the Word. Bertie and Alex with you. We're in Proverbs chapter 23. And uh, again, it's jam-packed with information, good material. Verses 10 and 11. Alex, uh, and again, we're just talking about the Redeemer. Listen to this. Do not remove the ancient landmark. Now, we've heard that, yes. that before. But notice it says it a little bit different. Now, enter the fields of the fatherless. That's so important. God puts a premium on how a person or a society treats the fatherless. It really Mm -hmm. is. And then listen to what verse 11, for their redeemer. Now, we may be talking about the kinsman redeemer, but the kinsman redeemer is always a picture of the redeemer. For their redeemer is mighty, and he will plead their cause against you. Alex, uh, verse 11, I've heard, you know, I was reading about it some, oh, it's the kinsman redeemer, but I want to just tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ will plead our case, and uh, yes. he, he is for us, and that's the whole idea. He, who is it? It's those of us who were fatherless for us spiritually, not, not necessarily physically, but we're, but we came into relation, and we were adopted into his family, and he is on our side, and I can't think of a better person to plead our case, brother.
1: Well, I know. And, you know, Bert, this is another great example of how Scripture affirms Scripture. Yesterday in Proverbs twenty-two, twenty-three, uh, you know, it said, do not rob the poor, for the Lord will plead their cause and spoil the soul that spoils them. So over there in Proverbs 23, um, you know, don't go into the fields of the fatherless. You remember the 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 biblical principle of gleaning and orphans and fatherless and widows could glean. So what it's saying, you know, don't take some of the harvest that would rightly uh, belong to the poor person for their redeemer is mighty. You're right. That's the Lord. And he will plead their cause. And I want to say to you, every last one of you, if you will let him, Jesus will plead your cause. Now, Bert, comment on this, if you would, the redeemer, pleads the cause for someone, the Bible calls Jesus our advocate. The advocate is one who pleads a cause for somebody. Isn't it good to know that the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, is the one who pleads our case? He's our advocate on our behalf.
2: It is, and he is the only one that has standing in front of the judge. Okay. Mm. Have you ever heard that? Now, that's uh, I. I picked that up somewhere. You know, I hear it a lot about it. Uh, even in the Supreme Court and lower courts, they'll say somebody will come in. They say you don't have standing, and it's about you. Have not presided over this. You haven't gone through the procedures right. Uh, you're not the one to speak to this. In God's court, the only one who has standing to plead our case is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, everything else is out, and you uh, you got to have Christ. He is our kinsman redeemer. He is our advocate. He is our intercessor for us to the Father, Alex.
1: Amen. I've seen in a movie or two, somebody will whisper and say, Listen, my lawyer knows the judge. Well, <laughs> our our advocate is the one who has an audience with the Father. But, but righteously so. He can and, call a oh,
2: sidebar, can't he? <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah, amen. exactly. Amen. Amen.
1: Um, I really do love verse 12 of Proverbs 23. Apply thine heart unto instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. Um, now, this is another one of those standalone jewels, but um, the Bible says in the New Testament study to show thyself approved. The Bible says that if we ask God for wisdom, he'll give it. Um, Psalm 119, verse 18, if we ask God to open our eyes, we can behold wonderful things from his law. And again, Bert, I've said it so many times, I apologize for sounding repetitive, but um, isn't a part of the responsibility of the Christian to make sure that we're, we're letting the Lord continually instruct our mind and, and grow our our mind and our knowledge?
2: It is, Alex. Now, notice this. It uses the word apply. Think of now expand the word apply and go application. Use the instruction to application of your life. It's not not just just know it, but live it exactly. That's the whole idea. Not just knowing it, applying it to where every part of your life. You go back to Proverbs chapter three five and six. You know. He will direct our paths as we give Him room in our lives, as we take in and He and we give Him room. What areas of our life should be off limits to God, Alex? None. None. Every area of our life. I remember this, and uh, I part of it was Oswald, Oswald Chambers. Some of it is D.L. Moody. Several of great men of God, and but there was Dale Moody praying, and there was some of these women that came and said, Father, may Dale Moody let you have every key to every room of his heart. Now, that really mm. struck a note with me, and I said, Lord, uh, a lot of times in a house, you'll have a drawer that's kind of like you don't know where to put everything, so you put it in the junk drawer or a closet, even a room and we should not have a room that's off limits nothing is off limits to what god's instruction should apply to it alex
1: amen Uh, that's that's right vince havner said if he's not lord of all he's not (laughs) lord at all that's it and that's not just a play on words he he needs to have all of our life now verse 13 withhold not Correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with a rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. Now I want to tell you, folks, Proverbs twenty-three, thirteen and fourteen. If if there are any two verses in today's lesson that would make a modern liberal scream, <laughs> oh my goodness. But yesterday we I like to read make them, verse,
2: uh, Alex, I have to admit, I like to make them scream. Exactly. <laughs> okay, excuse me, but it, I well, mean, this, yes, is, this is powerful, you know?
1: Well, I'm going to tell you something. Yesterday in verse 15 of chapter 22, it talked about the rod of correction will deliver a child from foolishness, right? Okay, verse 13 of Proverbs 23, Do not withhold correction. Uh, If you give him a whipping or beat him with a rod, it says he will not die. And you you remember it talked about, you know, spare not for his crying. Okay, in verse 14, when you're disciplining a child, and hey, I worked for Dr. Dobson, wonderful man, and he wrote a famous book called Dare to Discipline. And I'm going to tell you, the critics lost their mind. But it says, what are you doing? In lo- giving loving, just, fair, yes, grace, but accountability and punishment when necessary, you're going to deliver that child's soul from hell. Thanks. Now, Bert, I'm going to say this, and I know you're you're a little, not much, a little bit older than me. I would submit to you that the America we see around us now is an America where several generations were not disciplined
2: i agree with you alex when i was still in school uh they still gave corporal punishment uh we were yeah (laughs) now when i was in elementary school and junior high we 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 heard about the electric paddle that was in the principal's office now we never did see it but man it had us scared we we i I haven't heard
1: of that yeah
2: that was what hey that was in my day a few but yes now we're not talking about abuse we're not talking about overdoing but we are, we're saying leaving correction off, even the rod, uh, you are making a, a mistake that, uh, and again, I want to notice what it says. It doesn't say beat him with your hand. It says with a rod. Going back to your mentor, your employer, Dr. Dobson, he would say this in dare to discipline about try not to use your hand. Find uh, something else, a small switch rod. Now, here's what my mom did. Now, my dad, you know, he uses, he used, my dad did not spank me very much. He didn't have to. My mother, she would kind of get aggravated at me quicker. I'd have to go get a switch and bring it to her so she could use it on me, Alex. Now, you're talking mm-hmm. about humiliation, so you tried to find the one because you knew if it wasn't a good one, she'd send you back for another one, and uh, you weren't going to get out of the the switching. So, uh, here it is. Uh Correction is very vital, important in raising and discipline children.
1: Wow. Well, let me say this. Um, God, you know, we t- talked about this in the book of Hebrews that uh, God the Father disciplines us because He loves us. And dis- honestly, I would say no discipline is lack of love, not love. I agree. Um, now, whenever, like, if you've got the old King James, if you see the word reigns or E I N S. It's talking about your your life and your being. And it says, Yea, my reins shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things. Uh, it's good, it it's it's life-giving to know truth, and, and deep in the core of our soul we rejoice over truth. Uh, let not thy heart. Envy sinners, But be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long, for surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. Bert, doesn't the Bible tell us a lot about having the long-term perspective? It does. Verse Living 18. in light of eternity.
2: Let me read verse 18. I'll throw it right back to you in the New King James. I, I think it does uh, qualify this a little bit clearer. For surely there is a hereafter. There's a future and your hope will not be cut off. That is the whole idea. Now, what is it? But in the fear of the Lord, in the fear of the Lord, there is what? Hope. Connect those two. Connect the latter part of verse 17 with the latter part of verse 18. The fear of the Lord and knowing him brings hope. And Alex, uh, you remember over in chapter 13 of verse Corinthians, that these three remain, faith, hope, and love, right in the middle of faith, and love is what? Hope. Hope. It's in the middle. That hope becomes reality, and listen, that hope is real. Romans chapter 8 talks about it at the end, that we have that hope that nothing will separate us from the Lord, and we have it in John chapter 10 where it says we're in His hand, we're in the Father's hand. No man can pluck us out of His hand. I want to tell you, the hope that we find in a relationship with God, it's not in the sky by and by and thinking, okay, it's not just a myth. It is reality. The reality that Jesus Christ came, lived that perfect life, became the perfect sacrifice, died on the cross, and then was buried and rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us, Alex. That Mm -hmm. is the truth. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. It is truth. And we can dwell on it And it does give us hope doesn't
1: it well it really does it really does there is an end i mean and you need to think about the person you are the person you're becoming and the person that you ultimately will be Uh, It says, be wise, and and, uh, in other words, listen to these things. Now, verse 20 kind of changes gears, and what a good admonition it is for every generation. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh, gluttons. For the drunkard and and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Hearken unto thy mother that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Uh, let me tell you, uh, mom and dad probably told you some timeless truths that you need to heed. Um, drunkenness, gluttony, uh, laziness, having to sleep off a hangover. I mean, there's so much implied by verses 20 and 21. But there's I, I want to tell you, the path to, I think, success and stability is diligence, self-discipline. Um, you know, let the world go the way they go but you be a person of of being industrious and sober and diligent. Uh, not only did mom and dad tell us that, verse 22, but I think that's what the Lord would be saying to us as well.
2: Amen. Connect what it says in verse 20 and 21 to verses 29 through 35. It talks about who has woe, who has sorrow. It goes through those six things of question. The answer is He who lingers long at the wine, he who searches for mixed wine. And it tells you, don't look at it. It says in verse 32, at the end, it bites like a serpent, stings like an adder. And you'll see strange things. But what gets me most is verse 35, and we can come back. But I wanted to connect it to at least verses 20 and 21, Alex. You see why? It says in verse 35, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. I was drunk. When shall I wake? That I shall seek it again. Alex, Mm. the addictive power of alcohol. Um, I found out the best way to do it is is don't participate, and you won't be addicted. That sounds like a pretty good idea to me.
1: Well, you know, you never have to go through the rigors of stopping if you never did start in the first place. (laughs) That's true. And, uh, you know... um, Benjamin Franklin in Poor Richard's Almanac wrote that uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and I used to wonder what in the world does that mean. But I mean it's true. Um, you don't have to struggle with paying off a debt if you don't get into debt. And look, we're we're not legalists, and God is a God of grace, and everybody, you know, um, we we all make decisions. But proverbs very wisely. Admonishes all of us. Things: like, work hard, tell the truth, live right, restrain yourself, know how to say, know how to say no to your desires. Um, I think we do we do ourselves a good favor if we think before we act.
2: Amen, Alex. The whole idea here, I wanted to get to one more. We may have to look at a little bit of this tomorrow, but it's worth looking at verse 23 as we end. Buy the Amen. truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Now, buy the truth. it's You can't just purchase it, but you can pay the price for knowing truth. You can, I think that's it, what it, it's saying, isn't well, it?
1: Well, Bert, you're right. The, the acquisition of truth in your life is a transaction. When you buy something... You're trading something for something else. So trade um, failure and pain for truth and success.
2: The number that we would love for you to call and talk to us, ask us a Bible question is 888-589-8840.
4: Hello, I'm Don Hawkins, here to tell you about Encouragement Live. 55 minutes of industrial strength radio encouragement featuring resourceful guests plus practical biblical insights to help you face life's challenges. We'll be taking your phone calls. So plan to join us for Encouragement Live, Saturdays at 7:05 p.m. Central, 8:05 p.m. Eastern here on American Family Radio.
2: A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Professors Jonas Herbie, Lars Junning, and Steve Hanke have just published a new study for the Johns Hopkins Institute for Applied Economics that provided a systematic review and meta-analysis as to whether there is empirical evidence to support the belief that lockdowns reduce COVID-19 mortality. They concluded... Lockdowns have had little to no public health effects, but they have imposed enormous economic and social costs where they have been adopted. In consequence, lockdown policies are ill-founded and should be rejected as a pandemic policy instrument. If lockdowns don't and didn't save lives, why did we do
5: them?
4: Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for the Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. Jesus said this to his disciples in Luke 10, verse 20, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Millions of immigrants have entered the United States at Ellis Island. Around 700,000 of those people have paid to have their names inscribed on a wall of honor. But that wall won't last forever, and when it's gone, the names chiseled there now will be gone with it. Jesus offers something far better. If you're trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ to save you from your sin, then your name is written in His book in heaven. It can never be erased. It can never be destroyed. Your salvation through Jesus is a sure, secure salvation. It will last for eternity. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 830 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR.
3: therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God
4: American Family
0: Radio welcome back to exploring the word on American Family Radio
1: This is Exploring the Word. We're so glad you're listening. The number toll-free nationwide is 888-589-8840. 888 We would be very honored if you would call us with a Bible question. And Bert Harper and I will do our best to give you a factual, scriptural answer here on the American Family Radio Network.
2: And you may be helping us write our next book, you know, our first book. Well, that's true. Our first book came out with 100 questions and hopefully good answers that uh, are given. And uh, we're collecting questions some more. So uh, we appreciate you calling in. And let's let's go to the phone lines, and let's go to Stephen in Alabama. Welcome, Stephen.
5: Hey, how you all doing? Uh, uh, Bert and Alex, it's uh, good to talk to you all. Uh, I have a question. Um, I've been reading through um, Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, and one of the things that it brought up was talking about the genealogy of of Christ, and it basically was talking about uh, from Judah on. And and so I noticed that some of that genealogy was within Exodus. I think uh, there were the people from that tribe were uh, craftsmen and making the Tabernacle and Ark of the Covenant and things like that, but my question is, is you know, they go into the wilderness, and um, and from what I remember, I haven't gotten to this point yet, but from what I remember, it's uh, isn't it Joshua and Caleb and their family that go into the Promised Land, and is there somebody, is there a connection between them and the genealogy of Christ? How you know, how does that continue on? I'm just trying to connect the dots.
2: Okay. Well, Mm Stephen, you got it right that Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, and Mm -hmm. uh, Moses wasn't even. He was a Levite, and you have different ones that were doing it, but the lineage is from Judah. They had to Mm -hmm. keep meticulous records, and it helped, Alex, because they divided the land up when they they got over there into the 12 different areas, you know, and that helped Mm -hmm. them, I think, keep track and the southern and the largest one was judah it they uh, they got a lot of land and they had a lot of people did they not
1: they really did and you know this is a fascinating thing and and brother thank you for listening and um i applaud you for searching the scriptures and uh, knowing the story okay what, what's interesting uh Bert, one of the key figures is king david Now King David was the son of Jesse, Jesse was the son of Obed, but this is all from the lineage of Judah. Uh, You come down there, and there was uh, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, Uh, okay, King David is born. Now from the the lineage of King David comes the lineage of Luke, you know, Nathan, and all of the, I'm sorry, Joseph, rather, which is recorded in Luke, but then the lineage of Mary uh, under Solomon. And all of this, the records were meticulously kept because what they're showing in Matthew 1 and Luke uh, 3 is that Jesus is qualified to be the Savior. He fulfilled all the prophecies. He had the right lineages. He did not have a sin nature. He could sit on the throne of David. In fact, by every criteria, uh, scripturally, um, legally, certainly familially uh, in his genealogy, Jesus was qualified. He is the Savior, and that's, I, I think, why the 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 Old Testament records of the lineage of Jesus were, um, I, I say this in a good way, almost obsessively uh, preserved, weren't they?
2: They were, and, and again, when you see those in Matthew and Luke, uh, we had someone to Get in a word at AFR.net. You can ask your questions there. Most of the time, the question like this one will come up that answers that question. And it was, why is it so important? And is Mary really in the lineage of, of Judah? Both of them are, Joseph and Mary. Mary's lineage is, is through in the, in the book of Luke, while uh, Joseph's lineage is through in Matthew's. And mm-hmm. it's very much the same all the way through, except right at the end where it goes in a different direction because of who they were. But the genealogy, again, declares, I would say, the sovereignty of God, Alex. I, I love that. Oh, yeah. It really does. Hey, let's go to Alabama, or stay in Alabama. Luke, welcome.
0: Hi. I'm glad to get to call in. Thanks for doing the show.
2: Well, thank you for oh, calling, man. Yeah.
0: Uh, my question is, Uh, In ministry, you know, in America, there's a history of a lot of legalism around alcohol and, you know, the so-called temperance movement that was teetotalism and all that. There are people that still, often because of their personal experiences, have that as a very important part of how they talk about God. There's a strong conviction they have, and they'll even put it front and foremost in their witnessing, you know, preaching against alcohol. And I wonder you know because it seems to me that it's an unnecessary encumbrance to put in your gospel message and it's not you know teetotalism doesn't seem to be biblically founded you know Jesus turned water to wine and all how you would suggest bringing that up and speaking to someone that it might be unhelpful to them in the gospel without it being as if I were because all participation in alcohol to these people is alcoholism and is forbidden how would you and, talk to them about it without it seeming like you are advocating for sin and just wanting to keep your pet sin?
1: Let me jump in here for a minute, I, and I think you make a great point. Uh, I commend you for the way you use the words, unnecessary encumbrance. And And let me just say this, Bert, now I'm, I'm only speaking for myself. Feel free to disagree. Um, I, you know, I believe in standards and holiness, but honestly, um, the strict, strict, strict prohibition, temperance, teetotalism is a uniquely American part of the Christian witness. I mean, if you look back through through Europe and elsewhere, really throughout all of church history, there was not this insistence on total abstinence from alcohol. Now, I'm not advocating drinking. I'm really not. Um, but I do think that if you're trying to win a lost person to Christ, if if you lead out with that, they're not ever going to really hear about Jesus. Uh, I would say, and again, I'm only speaking for Alex. Let's let's keep Jesus front and center. Let's try to get people saved, and let's let the Holy Spirit deal with them about whether or not they they drink.
2: I I agree with you. And Luke, we hope that helps. I, let me share this with you. I. I just, what you talked about, uh, experiencing what alcohol does to a family, it does put some of us in the position of hating it. I'll I'll say that, and I'll say it quickly. I've seen the results of it. The Bible does not talk about uh, not drinking at all, but it does talk about drunkenness, and, and, and so for some of us, The best way to avoid the possibility, especially when it's all through your family, you know, is to stay Mm. away from it. And uh, again, that's not part of the gospel, but it is a uh, something that a lot of people make it a high priority. And uh, so, uh, Bert, I'm
1: with you there. In ministry, I I certainly have seen what it does to people and to families and marriages.
2: Yeah, if you uh, pastor for 40 years the way I did. And even before that, see what it did in my family, my wife's family, and the families around us. Uh, you know, we understand what it does, and it does put a bitter pill in you. And you need pastor for 40 years and see what it has done. That I've done the funeral of more, uh, a lot of people because of drunk driving. And uh, it started with alcohol, and it is... Uh, I think Proverbs. I'm just going to tell. You, I know I'm taking up more time than I should on this, but read Proverbs 23, the last verses, and and it may not tell you uh, not to drink, but it tells you you uh, it gives you warning if you do, especially misusing it. I'll put it that way. I'm Luke, you. we hope yeah. that helps. And again, it, not I'm without Alex, not legalism, but it is warning. Uh, they put warning on a cigarette pack about may cause cancer. Uh, they should put a lot of warning on alcohol of what it can cause and do. Alcohol has done a lot more damage than tobacco has ever thought about doing. And that's mm-hmm. Burt Harper's opinion. And, yeah, okay, we'll go on. Okay, let's – I hope I get this right. Uh, well, I'm trying. Yeah, there it is. Is this Ursula? Ursula. From Oklahoma no, this is Ursula Ursula okay Ursula yes. thank you how
0: are you mr. how are you mr. Harper I am
2: doing well it's good to hear from you I I remember good. now yeah how to say your name thank you for calling
0: <laughs> um, I have a question I go out to Carl Albert State College and for my online class for literature we had to write a paper about deism like D-I-S-T-S, and Calvinist so I was wondering what's the difference? Like, I've never really
2: understood the difference. Deist and Calvinist, the difference? Wow, Alex? That well, would be, um, we would have to have more space to answer that question in our book than we we were allotted, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh,
1: and and let me say, it, it's very interesting that they would posit these two worldviews against each other. It would. That's and, my uh, opinion, too. Because, uh, let me say, deism... A deistic world is one in which God exists, but he created the world and walked away, and he doesn't intervene. Calvinism, uh, and my goodness, there are a lot of different varieties. I would think the the um, professor that paired these two, co- compare and contrast, deism and Calvinism, uh Believe it or not, this is really not an accurate rendi- rendering of either position. Now, I'm assuming by this pairing, they mean the extreme of determinism, Calvinism, where man does not have free will, God controls everything. Believe it or not, the more accurate pairing would be deism and theism. Now, deism says God created the world but walked away. Theism says God created the world and yet intervenes within the world. Now, if you wanted to really make an accurate pairing, it might be Arminianism and Calvinism. But deism is basically God is the absentee landlord. He made the world, but he walked away. He doesn't intervene in it. Uh, Theism says there is a God he created. He still intervenes, and you can know him. Calvinism uh, basically says that and I'm for those of you that might lean Calvinistic, I apologize for my superficial explanation. But Calvinism in the way that this instructor, I think, means it is the idea that everything is predetermined and man doesn't have free will.
2: Ursula, we hope that helps, and I hope you have a good time writing that paper. And I hope what we said, or mostly what Alex said, because I could not add to it, because when I saw that, the difference between those two, raised my eyebrows, Alex, and I said, that's an unusual pairing, and you qualified that. It is. It
1: it would almost be like contrasting, um, you know, an apple and an orange. That's right. Um, They're they're different.
2: It is. Hey, Ursula, thank you for calling. Let's go to Texas and talk to Jeff. Jeff, welcome. Hello. Yes, go right ahead, brother. Hi. I got one more thing to say. Okay. The book of Job, the book of Job. Right. Yes. It's
3: written, it's written by it's been really that over two thousand years years ago. Go, listen J. The accuracy of pH.
2: So that means to be called book five. Okay. Well, let me just tell you this. My our, My son that does exploring missions with us. The program that's on the weekend, and Alex has a program on the weekend as well. And uh, but. He had a friend when he was doing missions in Atlanta, Georgia with refugees. One of his best friends was a man and uh we would call him job, but guess what that's not how they pronounced it there uh it was more like exactly like you were saying Jeff It's not necessarily uh it's a lot of it's how you say it according to what language you're speaking alex
1: mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Uh,
2: they call him Yob, you know? Uh, and, e- yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, and you know what? When I was a brand-new Christian and I didn't know anything about anything, I thought it was Job. I thought, <laughs> why is there a biblical? I wasn't being um, irreverent. I just didn't know. Yeah. Well, I had
2: some friends says, why is Job in Palms? They 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 saw Psalms, and they thought it was Palms.
1: So anyway, yes, Jeff, yes.
2: hope that helps. We're going to try to get one more question in. Jock from Louisiana go
5: ahead. Hey, Bert. Hey, Bert. Hey, Alex. I uh, just wanted to ask about the uh, Levites and uh, and heir the priest, why they was not
2: in
5: Abraham's uh, promise or inheritance. And also, did that did they continue on after the uh, resurrection of Christ? Did they was they still in the temple? His
2: family and was the Levites still soldiers for God? Okay. Good question. Alex, let me say, well, you wonder why wouldn't the Messiah come from Joseph? I always thought that in place of Judah, because he was so. But he got a double inheritance with his two sons getting it. But Levi, he got he got his inheritance is just in a different way, didn't it?
1: The Levites, it, it, they they really did. And and you know what the the priestly caste, if you will, they they were taken care of in terms of lodging and food, uh, but. A part of the color's question about the sacrifices, did I hear him talk about like after the cross? Right, he did. Yes, go ahead. Well, you know, after AD 70, just, you know, a very few short years after Calvary, um, the Jews were dispersed. And that's one of the big questions. If Jesus wasn't really the Messiah, why aren't they killing some lambs? Well, of course, Jesus was the Messiah, the only Lamb of God.
2: And that Messiah is at the right hand of the Father now. Ready to make intercession for you If you'll call on him Ask him to save you He wants to Prepared Read ahead 24 Uh, Proverbs 24 Has got some really good information in it Some promises Some principles Alex 24 is going to be good as well
1: And we hope everybody will be listening Thanks for being with us on Exploring the Word Join us again tomorrow Tell somebody about the American Family Radio Network Most of all tell somebody
5: about Jesus